DW Africa Link. It's 5 p.m. and you are tuned in to DW's Africa Link program. That's a show that brings you the latest information from Africa and beyond. I am Eddie Micah Jr. And with Eddie, I am Okeri Ngushinado. We welcome all our listeners from wherever you're tuning from. Send your comments to our Facebook page, DW Africa. Now coming up... As the world marks International Day of Zero Tolerance for Female Genital Mutilation, Sierra Leone is struggling to tighten the laws to stop this practice. But there are countries which are making steps to protect children from FGM. In Uganda and Kenya, however, there's been solid progress towards eradicating FGM. The two East African nations have undergone a significant reduction in FGM cases over the years. Stay tuned because we will delve into those stories and much more. But first, let's go find out the world's news in brief. DW News. I am Buba Jalo. A U.S. appeals court ruled Tuesday that former President Donald Trump can face trial on charges of plotting to overthrow the results of the 2020 presidential election. The decision rejects Trump's claims that as a former president, he is immune from charges stemming from actions taken during his presidency. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is pressing ahead with a diplomatic tour of the Middle East in the hope of securing a ceasefire in Gaza. Blinken has been meeting with Egyptian President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi in Cairo. International pressure on Israel's mountain. France's Foreign Minister Stéphane Sojourn called for an immediate ceasefire and a political solution for Gaza. We must prepare the future and support the Palestinian Authority, which must take on a new form and redeploy in the Gaza Strip as soon as possible. I repeat, Gaza is Palestinian land. Senegal's parliament has voted to postpone the next presidential election. The poll was due to be held this month, but has now been pushed back until December. Senegal has long been considered a model of democracy in West Africa. The delay has sparked protests on the street and in Parliament. More on this coming up shortly on Africa Link magazine with Okeri Ngoshinado and Eddie Micah Jr. Six people, including three police officers, have been wounded in a shooting outside the courthouse in Istanbul. A man and a woman opened fire at a security checkpoint before, shot, before being shot dead by police. Turkey's interior ministry said they belonged to a leftist militant group. And you are listening to Africa Links News on, D, on Germany's international public broadcaster, DW. A Kenyan court leader is facing new charges of murdering 191 children. Paul McKenzie is alleged to have motivated more than 400 followers to starve themselves to death. He and dozens of other suspects are charged with multiple offences, including torture. Also in Kenya, police said on Tuesday that they had arrested the main suspect in a deadly gas blast last week that killed six people and injured 280. British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak said Tuesday that he was shocked and sad to learn that King Charles III has cancer. Buckingham Palace announced Monday evening that the the 75-year-old king has been diagnosed with an unspecified type of cancer. Prince Harry returned back to Britain on Tuesday afternoon as the British monarch begins outpatient treatment. And finally, 
NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell has dismissed conspiracy theories surrounding Taylor Swift and the Super Bowl outcome. Right-wing critics have said Swift and Kelsey's relationship is part of a conspiracy to rig the Super Bowl result and help U.S. President Joe Biden re-elected. Goodell brushed aside the conspiracy theory that Swift's relationship with Travis Kelsey is scripted. There is no way that I could have scripted that one. Let's just put it that way. But she is, um, or anybody in our office, she's, she's a remarkable performer. She knows great entertainment. I had the opportunity to go to two of her concerts with our girls and my wife. She's the best of the best. And, and so having her come to NFL games, have her a part of that is nothing but a positive. For more news, check out our Facebook page, DW Africa, or our website, dw.com. I am Buba Jalo. Thank you, Buba, for that news. You're listening to DW's Africa Link show broadcasted Monday to Friday. I am Okering Gushinado. And I am Eddie Micah Jr. Now, if you listened to the news with Buba Jalo, we talked about Senegal. Stay tuned if you want to get to know the latest on that. Um, we will definitely have more coming up on the show. I would like to welcome those listening to the program on our Facebook page. That's DW Africa. Feel free to comment on the stories that Okeri and I will be reading out live on it, right? Mm-hmm. We'll be doing that, right? Yeah, but let's kick off with the yeah. top story, Eddie. Um, today is International Day of Zero, Zero Tolerance for Female Genital Mutilation. And this day, which is marked by the UN, provides an opportunity for all stakeholders involving involved in ending FGM to celebrate achievements, advocate for the abandonment of this practice as well, and also raise awareness. Yeah, that's right. Now, female genital mutilation, which involves the altering or injuring of female genitalia, can cause health complications, including severe infection, chronic pain, depression, infertility, and death, right? It's internationally recognized as a human rights violation that has been practiced by societies across the ages. I mean, about 28 countries on the continent have enacted laws to end the protests, this practice, but there are still reports that FGM is widely practiced, especially in six countries. That's Eritrea, Egypt, Ethiopia, the Gambia, Sudan, and also Sierra Leone. Yeah, in fact, Sierra Leone has the 2007 Child Rights Act, which guarantees laws dealing with harmful traditional practices against a girl child. But it appears there are some loopholes, okay, mm-hmm. you know, that might make it difficult for the law to be implemented. And this year, the UN and its partners are calling on amplifying survivor voices and investing in survivor-led movements. And you're using phrases like her voice, mm-hmm. her future, by creating a space for survivors to speak And this can ultimately stop this practice from continuing. That's right. Now, the UN hopes to end the practice of female genital mutilation, also known as FGM, by the end of the decade. But is Africa actually advancing towards zero tolerance against this violation, which affects an estimated 200 million females globally? Let's take a listen to this explainer by our very own Zilia Furlish. Female genital mutilation, FGM, is traumatic and can be deadly. It amounts to a blatant violation of the human rights of girls and women and has officially been condemned by the United Nations since 2012. According to the United Nations, millions of girls in Africa still remain at risk of FGM. Laws across the continent prohibiting this practice are inadequately enforced across multiple cultures in Africa. 
In Uganda and Kenya, however, there's been solid progress towards eradicating FGM. The two East African nations have undergone a significant reduction in FGM cases over the years. In total, more than 20 African nations have banned FGM. However, the laws are often inadequate and rarely enforced, and there are still places where there is discrimination against uncut girls. Of greatest concern in Africa are Chad, Liberia, Mali, Sierra Leone, Somalia and Sudan, home to 16 million girls. These nations still lack laws criminalizing FGM, allowing its practice to continue legally. These shortcomings underscores the growing urgency to strengthen laws banning FGM, emphasized by campaigners across Africa. Many stress that legislation alone is insufficient, without proper enforcement coupled with proactive initiatives to change cultural norms and attitudes. Zelia Fröhlich with that explainer. Yeah, hopefully uh, you have a, a better idea of what's going on across the African landscape. Now, we've been talking about Sierra Leone. The country has no law uh, that outright criminalizes female genital mutilation. The Sierra Leonean government says 61% of women aged between 15 and 19 have undergone FGM. In January this year alone, uh, three girls died as a result of the practice. I mean, human rights advocates are concerned about the situation, but we wanted to know how is it in your country? What do you make of those African countries that allow the cutting of women and girls um, female genitalia? We have a comment here from Bashir Digo that says, this backwardness and ignorance must stop. And there must be a strict prison law for anyone who commits, participates or support these acts. Yeah. Gida Idris Tairu says this practice is due to ignorance or quite similar to what Bacheo said. Mm-hmm. Paz Skip says the best and only way to stop this barbaric act is by encouraging men not to marry any woman who is circumcised. And I mean, it's not surprising that you get some comments that people are saying, well, this is part of some people's cultural identity. Yes. And, and, and and so they feel like it's, it's not a it's not a black and white thing of saying that this is just right or wrong. It, mm-hmm. it takes a while for people to, you know, disconnect from something that they've known all of their lives, you know, in some situations, at least according to some of the comments that we're getting. I so, mean, yeah, there's a comment here, Eddie, that mm-hmm. Mustafa Jeremiah says, um, this practice is wrong. In Ghana, the culprit will be arrested and jailed. Is that the case in Ghana? Overall, yes. yes. I, I, and uh, I mean, obviously, I wouldn't be an authority to say that you never see it anywhere. Mm-hmm. But for sure, it has uh, some of the laws put in place by the government has made it much, much more difficult for anyone to carry out that act, um, at least in, 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 in the open for anyone to know that it's going on. So I think this is what many African countries should be doing as much as possible to, to make sure that if, if, you know, because it's, we, how many times have we been talking about this and going uh, yes. back and forth for, for a while? And, and the fact that we're talking about still a lot of countries doing this and, and, and girls dying, some girls dying as a result of this, I mean, it, it just shows that people people got to move on especially yeah especially if we look at in Sierra Leone I mean we already said this it was in January and already three children have died because of this practice and because of the laws are not so strict in kind of saying that hey we will stop this completely it kind of allows for loopholes for people to still continue and carry on with this and not really take care or protect the the girls going through this initiation that's right that's right let us know your thoughts uh, more of your thoughts on our Facebook page D 
DW Africa. If you just joined us, my question to you is, why now? But anyway, you're still welcome to the program. This is DW's Africa Link. We broadcast every Monday to Friday. I am Eddie Micah Jr. And I am Okering Gushinado. Be part of the show by commenting on the stories we're covering. That is on our Facebook page, DW Africa. But Eddie, what is coming up next? Coming up in the next few minutes, we give you the latest on the ongoing conflict in Sudan. Multiple actors, including the SAF, have said that the RSF, the Rapid Support Forces, are behind uh, communications breakdown in the country. The reality is that this is a different type of level of power play. It's not just a power play, it's also, it also limits people. Hmm. We'll get to that story in a bit. But before that, let's go to Senegal, right? The country's parliament has voted to delay this month's presidential election until December. That has sparked national unrest and international concern over a country normally seen as a beacon of stability in West Africa, especially when you consider that this is the first time the country is experiencing the postponement of an election. Mm-hmm, that's right, Eddie. Opposition MPs repeatedly criticized the postponement and called it an institutional coup. They also condemned the shutdown of the mobile data network and the closure of an opposition-affiliated television station. Crispin Makadeo has more on this. The reason for the postponement, according to President Macky Sall, was to investigate allegations of corruption in the preparation of the presidential candidate list. Majority Member of Parliament, Aji Kanote, explained the need for the postponement. We are facing an institutional crisis with judges accused of corruption, our own candidate accused of bribing judges, and a number of aggrieved candidates calling for the truth to be told. I think this is a serious time and it's up to us MPs to assume our responsibility by postponing this election so that the light can truly be shed and we can move towards a peaceful, transparent and inclusive presidential election. The move, however, triggered a weekend of protests in the West African country which were violently dispersed by the police. The atmosphere in Senegal has since been tense. Opposition MPs are totally against the move, accusing Sal of trying to cling on to power. Here is Opposition Member of Parliament, Babakar Abba Mbaye. When they gave us the text, they told us that the elections were going to take place on August 25th. They removed us from the room so that they could pass the amendment. So we are in for a year of undue hardship under President Makisar. We appeal to the people. The time has come to show that we are a great people. The time has come to show that we are Democrats. The time has come to show that our sovereignty belongs to us. The opposition suspects the postponement is part of a plan by the presidential camp to avoid defeat or to extend Sal's term in office. That's despite Sal saying he would not stand for re-election. Hardy Yakubu, the coordinator for Pan-African activism group Africans Rising, has also condemned the president for trying to cling on to power. Africans from all walks of life are very appalled at the turn of events in Senegal. And we call for immediate uh, restoration of calm and peace and security by the revocation of the decree of the president to postpone the elections and to ensure that the elections are held as scheduled uh, constitutionally. This is a civilian coup and, and it must be roundly condemned by all. And I think ECOWAS and African Union need to be stronger in their condemnation of civilian uh, manipulation of constitutional and institutional processes to extend their tenure in office. 
Senegal, with a population of 17 million people, has been widely regarded as a stable democracy in West Africa. But that is being questioned due to recent events. Representatives of the African and European Union and the Economic Community of West African States, ECOWAS, have all reacted with concern to the postponement of the election date. Senegal's opposition has denounced a drift towards authoritarianism and accused the government of manipulating the justice system. Crispin Mwakideo with that report. Mm-hmm. And there are comments on our Facebook page mm-hmm. um, in regard to the story. Is Senegal backtracking on its democratic ideals by pushing the elections? Al Latif says, serious threat. Sometimes you can't understand African politicians. <laughs> Real hour. Micah Power, that's my namesake. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, power to your name. Um, you say, uh, when you thought they knew what they were doing, they pull a hard one beyond understanding. What's wrong with these leaders, you say? Mm-hmm. And Manuel Mansa says, I'm sure the old men heading AU haven't heard this. Very sad, Africa. Actually, the AU has um, reacted to it. Yeah. And they um, it's also concern. yeah representatives yeah. of the EU, the AU and um, ECOWAS as well reacted with concern to the mm. postponement of the elections. Mm. And uh, Eric Emisa says, uh, where's ECOWAS? Um, they cannot bite. They're just watching mm-hmm. what's happening in Senegal. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of spotlight on yeah. ECOWAS as well. And yeah. Alex Moore says, what is happening to Makisal? Postponing election is very dangerous, mostly mostly West African countries with history of military coup. Let him think a bit about it before the country heads to the dogs. Hmm. I think it's 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 one of those. If you are thinking of a country that this could happen, you probably not. No disrespect to the other countries, mm-hmm. but you probably not think about Senegal, right? It's 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 been seen as uh, one of the leading democracies on the African continent, and and for for years, for decades, they've they've had some some smooth running uh, of their politics. So for Makisar, who again has been someone who's been saluted and respected as someone who's been encouraging democracy for mm-hmm. this to be happening, many feel like mm, you know we, we have to be very careful. But basically, uh, what's happening now is that the Senegalese opposition, uh, they've denounced a constitutional coup. They call it a constitutional coup. That's after parliament voted to delay the presidential election by 10 months. Mm-hmm. So uh, for, according to them, it's plunging the normally stable country into its worst crisis in decades. So, so, yeah. I mean, it's only December, right? Have they given an actual date in December when this would take place? As a stance, uh, it's supposed to be December 15th. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was supposed to be, uh, well, the original date was supposed to be February 25th, but now they're saying it's going to be December 15th. Now, some feel that that's probably even going to change. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Maki Sal has, has, has said that he... He decided to postpone because there's some issues regarding some of the presidential candidates in there, and he's 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 you know, blaming corruption in some situations. But clearly, as as we're reading, some people don't believe him. They yeah. just they just some people feel that it, this is just his way of staying longer in power. Yes, Although, um, yeah, he's not running for um, another term, so exactly he's tried to appease to that that I'm, exactly. I'm not staying beyond my time exactly. it's just yeah. we can't have the elections now exactly and that's the interesting thing because he's come out to say no I don't plan to run a, a third term mm-hmm. right but, but then people are like okay then if you're not interested then in staying why longer this? why do this so now <laughs> yes. you're going to be you know you want to lead longer but uh, you know there's a lot of things happening behind the scenes uh, apparently he, he there's also
also versions that when his time is actually up, uh, he will hand over to, you know, so some sort of interim, uh, you know, group or government until the elections in December. But we'll definitely keep you posted. There's a lot happening, as you can tell. We'll mm-hmm. keep you posted on our Facebook page, DW Africa, when we have any information. Now, uh, if you're thinking that unrest is is such a big deal, then you've probably not been following what's been happening in Sudan because the conflict in that country is showing no signs of ending. The state recently accused the paramilitary rapid support forces, RSF, of causing telecommunications outages. This has further increased tension between the Sudan's army and the RSF who denied the allegations. Now, the fighting has already displaced more than 7 million people Many Sudanese reports not being able to reach family members. And the UN Refugee Agency on Monday warned that Europe may have to deal with a rise in the numbers of Sudanese refugees. That's if a ceasefire agreement isn't signed soon between the warring sides and relief efforts are not strengthened. I mean, millions rely on online payments for food and yeah. other essentials, which are now inaccessible due to the network disruption. That's right. For more on the current situation on the ground, I spoke to international relations analyst Abiul Luang Deng. Multiple actors, including the SAF, have said that the RSF, the Rapid Support Forces, are behind uh, communications breakdown in the country. And I think that seems to be relatively backed up by many legitimate sources. I've just checked. I know that Reuters and others have pretty much slightly hinted that they agree with that outcome that they did, in fact, shut down um, some of the the big telecommunications companies uh, in that country. This is just, you know, increasing the tensions with the ongoing conflict, isn't it? The reality is that this is a different type of level of power play because Sudan was one of the most connected countries in the world. It was one of the better connected uh, internet countries in which people were very reliant on mobile technology and mobile payment in, uh, in Africa and even within the region. So blocking the uh, telecommunications network is not just uh, uh, it's not just a power place also it also limits people um, from reaching out to others from con- communicating to others and even from receiving money mm. uh, and so forth and so on so it's actually it's it's a bit of an extreme uh, power play but it must have been done in, in the assumption that they would get away with it that mm. is if it's confirmed the RSF uh, is behind it which most people have mm. have said okay tell us more about how the conflict has affected people in Sudan and basically all aspects of society of Sudan. Up until now, there has not been a civil conflict that has affected the entirety of the society in Sudan uh, the way this has. Economically in the past, sure, right? In terms of changing the politics, sure, but not to the point where people are actually having to flee, that are refugees, that Mm. homes are being destroyed, that they're facing day-to-day violence. Uh, and, and once again, the north of Sudan is very concentrated in populous areas. So this means we're talking about quite a bit of urban warfare, right, which is, which is hor- horrific. We're talking about bombing uh, and things like that. So the entire society of the Sudan is affected at this point and not just one region. And uh, it's not just in Sudan, right? Uh, this ongoing conflict has affected neighboring countries and the whole region, hasn't it? Absolutely. The The fact is that in the last two weeks, this conflict has spread into Abyei, which is a contested region in between North and South Sudan. We know that the oil from uh, South Sudan, which is the main export of South Sudan, which transits through the North, has actually increased since this conflict began, because every 
every side of this conflict, uh, including South Sudanese, need that oil. We know this conflict has affected Ethiopia and absolutely has affected Egypt and also Chad, mm. um, particularly in terms of Darfur. A massive amount of people have been pushed into Darfur, and there are a lot of a lot of uh, former colleagues of mine. You know, when I worked at uh, international organizations, who are saying this is ethnic cleansing. They are pushing people from Darfur into Chad, and they don't want them back. And who is that they? Who is pushing who where? Well, it depends who you're, you're going to blame. And that's one, one thing that is very complicated about the situation in Sudan, because both of these forces have been accused of human rights violations. Both have been accused of war crimes. So they really depends on your point of view. But many uh, international actors I know do put quite a bit of blame, in particular on the RSF, for war crimes in, uh, in Darfur. What more needs to be done by the international community to end the conflict? Well, I think there has to be a willingness for the international community. I mean, we see statements from the EU that uh, warn their states for action with the threat that it means that if they don't act, there's going to be more refugees from Sudan. And I don't know if that's necessarily the right way to look into a deeply problematic human rights situation. I mean, at, at the end of the day, the EU did make a deal with Bashir, you know, in 2016, when they wanted to limit uh, immigration into Europe. So there's a point where it's also for the international community beyond just the EU. I mean, you know, the United States has also been okay with UAE being involved in this conflict. And there's a lot of allegations that they have brought weapons instead of bringing peace, right? So I think if we really want to talk about the international community being affected, it can't just be about fears of refugees. It, It can't be Um, you know, very limited. It really has to look into how can we look at the Sudan um, as a crisis that is indicative of the problems of the general region, because this region is a keystone region in between the Middle East and in Africa, and is also the entry into the Sahel region. So if there is not peace there, uh, this is one region that can destabilize multiple regions. I was speaking to international relations analyst Abio Luol Deng, really emphasizing how important it is to do something about a crisis in Sudan that has already displaced at least 7.5 million people. Africa Link. Sport. It's that jingle, so you know it's time for sports. AFCON hosts Ivory Coast are hoping to reach the semi-finals of the competition after going through a roller coaster of emotions. Yeah, I think you you blame this on me. That was that was uh, definitely a typo because they are already in the semi-finals. They're already. Oh yeah, sorry, so they are, they are I forgot about to reach that. The finals. No, it's, it's 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 there's a lot happening, you yes. know. So it's it's only it's normal. A, it starts yeah. tomorrow as well. It, it starts tomorrow <laughs> as well. But what's football without the fans is a big question. The highs and lows they go through just adds to all the excitement. I asked our correspondent in Abidjan, Samson O'Malley, how important the fans are. I mean, the fans form a very integral part of any competition, and especially when it comes to football. And as we're talking specifically with the Africa Cup of Nations 2023, the fans have, you know, thrown in their very best into this competition. They dress colorfully, they come with different, you know, attires, drums and all that, chanting, and of course, getting excited, adding so much color and the expression is always a giveaway anytime um, during the course of the matches. Outside the stadium is the same thing. 
and usually during this kind of competition you will expect that the fan village also will be a place that will be a reference point and yeah there are fan villages that have been put in place you know established by the local organizing committee the kunkan uh, but it's not been given the needed publicity so you don't get to see a lot of fans trooping into this place where you get lots of fun, lots of excitement and every other thing that happens aside from the football that takes place on the pitch. But by and large, I mean, I've spoken to fans from Ireland, from France, you know, outside the shores of Africa who are defying, you know, the very, very cool chilly weather in Europe right now to be in Africa to enjoy the beautiful sun and to, of course, be part of the game. So the fans have been They've been, they've been at okay. their very best. Okay, and they definitely deserve more from the organizing committee for sure. Now, people have also been commending the referees, right, for good officiating. How good have they been, really? I mean, uh, you talk to anyone. I mean, you talk to even the fans. You talk to journalists and then, of course, football pundits around here. And they've given thumbs up to the referees who are the center of the pitch in the course of this tournament. Butra Karubi from Morocco. It's a woman uh, who was at the center when Nigeria uh, Super Eagles played Guinea-Bissau, and she did very well. Of course, following the history of Salima Komashinga from Rwanda. So you have female referees holding their own here in this tournament. Aside from that, the video assistant referee has played a crucial role in the matches played so far in this tournament. And I can tell you uh, that they've been literally been on point. So for the referees, they are getting a lot of thumbs up and even at some point even taking some shades uh, from with their colleagues from Europe asking them to come and learn how African referees <laughs> do it well and do it better especially when it comes to the VAR here at AFCON 2023. I was speaking to our correspondent in Abidjan, Samson O'Malley. Uh, Okiri has been following the AFCON so Okiri has an idea <laughs> who's winning the competition. Who did you say is going to win? Who's winning? At least let me say who's winning tomorrow's game. Okay, tell me. But I don't want to make predictions because I always make predictions on the show and then the next day I, like I'm just <laughs> I'm, I'm eating my words so I won't say I'll say tomorrow. You say tomorrow. I, I promise I'll say tomorrow. But you know the games have been played tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. Tomorrow, ask me. <laughs> <laughs> That's a smooth way for Kerry to opt out of predicting. But it is definitely difficult to predict if you've been mm-hmm. following the Africa Cup of Nations. But uh, we'll see how it goes. Thanks a lot for tuning in to this edition of Africa Link with me, Eddie Micah Jr. And this has been Okeri Ngushinado. Until tomorrow. DW Mid for Minds